This audio is from the Axis Church and is from our sermon series, The Gospel of Matthew, Following the Unexpected King. For more information about the Axis Church or its mission in Nashville, Tennessee, go to theaxischurch.org. Let me pray for us and we'll get busy together as a family. Jesus, Lord, thank you for getting us here and having us here. Thank you for letting us last five years. Lord, I pray that we will be around for your glory and fame um, until you come and get your church. Lord, um, I pray that you continue your work here in saving people and changing people and redeeming people and allowing people to see that there is still a very beautiful opportunity for the church to thrive in our our postmodern era. Lord, thank you for doing this. Thank you for being alive and working. Lord, I ask that you give me the, 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 the spirit of courage and of strength that you called Joshua to. And Lord, that I would be a shepherd like your man Paul, who you radically saved. Lord, I pray that I would speak as a mouthpiece and, and that this would be coming from what I believe to be your heart for our church and not anything else. So God, help us here. Help us all pay attention to this and take this to heart. God, unite us around these things. Make us obedient in these areas so that we can be a healthy church for decades to come. I ask this for your fame and our health. In Christ's name, amen. Back in the fall of 2001, I was given the responsibility to coach a varsity boys basketball team. I've never coached basketball up until this point, and I took over a team that, well, they weren't really good. Um, They had lost every game in the history of their school. Uh, It's a seven-year program. I came in at year eight, and uh, it was ugly. Um, We had a combined JV and varsity because not many people wanted to play on such a terrible team. Um, We were everyone's homecoming game, so if we ever played an away game that wasn't a a homecoming game, we didn't know why it was so short. Uh, We didn't know why the extended halftime wasn't there for us to, I don't know, eat oranges and and play checkers. Um, I remember one game looking over the the books uh, that there was a game where they only took 10 shots. The team I coached, before I coached them, only took 10 shots in one game, their score was three, okay? The whole game, they scored three. And it wasn't a three-pointer. They weren't that good. Uh, it was a, a two-point basket and a free throw, so I guess uh, two, two baskets. Um, I, I don't know if you could find a worse team as you look at a seven-year run. Uh, they were pretty good at losing. And uh, on top of the on-the-court drama, only one of these nine boys that I was coaching had a father in the home, so I was dealing with significant need, much more than just basketball. And I was drawn to this challenge. I love challenges. Um, so I, I, I took my first coaching gig. It was in combination with being the athletic director, which I'd never done before, in combination with being the PE teacher, which never done PE or, or health. Um, and uh, yeah, it was a lot that went into this, but I got paid 16 grand, which was a full-time salary for a man and his wife and their child. And uh, back then anyway, it was still tight, but it was full-time. So the first several practices we ran and we ran and we ran. It was all about conditioning. And they, of course, they wanted to scrimmage. You know, they just want to pull out the pennies and, and, and dress out in these practice uniforms and scrimmage. And they wanted to do one-on-one drills. Like, I can take him. Let me take him. Uh, they were comparing their, their terrible skills with each other on the team. Um, we didn't touch the ball for two weeks. And we ran. And I ran every step of the way with them. Every single drill, I would hustle with the boys Every single play, I was sweating more than the boys. Every time we ran, I tried my best to outrun those boys by setting an example. Stride for stride, I ran every single drill with them. Everything, with two exceptions. One, if you ever had to run for personal reasons, 
which means you got a technical foul or you missed a layup. You had to run extra the next practice, and I would not run those with you. And two, when I called a timeout during the middle of a game for them to run a suicide, I didn't run that with them. I was in a suit. So other than those two, I ran every single drill. And most of the time, I wouldn't use a whistle because they had had this whistle blown at them for years. And I wanted them to know my voice, and I wanted them to listen to me and see my face and be drawn to me without a whistle. So we, we, we talked about the lines on the court. I walked with them through what a hash line is, a free throw line, the end line, the baseline, or the sidelines. I didn't assume anything. I talked about how to check in the game and how to approach a referee, about body language. And after a couple of weeks, we picked up the basketball, uh, which they love doing, and uh, we started passing drills and dribbling drills, ball handling drills, catching, and we ran so much, y'all. Uh, it's one thing to lose to a better team. It's another thing to be out-hustled, and I felt like I don't care if we lose as long as we out-hustle the other team, and so we did this, and we, we focused on fundamentals. I incorporated other drills. We had four or five plays maximum that we ran and executed um, during our games, but that was all. I knew that if we were going to get on the same page and have the same goal and make progress towards that goal, that we would have to work together in getting to the basics and, and agreeing on what are the fundamentals that we can expect of each other and that we can know so that we can perform to these things for the health of our team. We needed to assess the entire situation. And so I did just that. We focused on just a few fundamentals, and I believe it's what a good coach should do. I'll pick back up the results of this team here in a few minutes. Here at the Axis, over the past few weeks, some greater detail has been shared with me regarding particular issues within our church family that need to be addressed. It's become obvious to me that we need a culture shift here within our church family in regards to the stewardship of all things, both personally as well as collectively as a church family. There must be a, a, a look into what it looks like to truly follow Jesus, to believe Jesus, and what it looks like to be involved in a church, to be involved in a mission called the church, practically speaking, what it looks like to follow Jesus and invest in his church. I believe that we need to constantly and consistently be addressing uh, the, the restructuring, the reprioritizing, uh, the reorienting of our lives around Jesus and his mission and unpacking a lot of what that means in large gatherings like this as well as specific one-on-ones with each other. I believe that we will never drift towards health as a church and I believe that we will not drift towards being naturally being good stewards of our lives and of our resources. And I want us to be healthy, and I want us to steward well. So today I want to assess the state of our church as I look back over the last five years, and as I look forward to the next 55 years, I, I want to walk us through the fundamentals that we're going to focus on as we plow on for the fame of Jesus in our city. Much like I did with that basketball team, I've tried doing here with the Axis over the last week and a half, realizing that this address is needed. And I confess that I should have addressed these issues more specifically over the past several months, but have failed to do so, and in doing so, I haven't been a good leader. My silence regarding these things and my defending of us as a church in these areas of weakness hasn't truly helped us. And for this, I confess and I repent and I ask that you would graciously forgive me because it ultimately comes down to fear that I'm afraid of, of hurting you and I'm afraid of uh, addressing you in this way and, uh, and ultimately I, I should not be fearful of that, but I should stand boldly in confidence and, and this is what I pray God does in my heart. A couple of things that have helped me over the past week and a half in preparing this address is the following two Proverbs. One, if you walk past something that's not the way it should be and you leave it, you have said that it is okay. The second thing is, if the student hasn't learned, then you haven't taught them. If the student hasn't learned, you haven't taught them. So I'm owning this. 
Family, I feel that, that we have walked past too much and that we haven't said enough. And we've enabled ourselves to be okay uh, when things aren't okay. And I, I, I saw that if the body failed to deliver in certain ways, that I figured out ways of doing it myself or finding alternative ways to getting things done, whether it's fundraising, whether it's um, just volunteering myself or my family. And this isn't faithful. This isn't being a good teacher. And I'm sorry. And I sincerely ask that you forgive me and pray for me in these areas that I would lead well. You see, rather than engaging with you and in leading you well, I settled and I just figured it out. Rather than walking with you stride for stride, leading you through what it looks like to make a basket and to win a game. That's poor coaching, that's poor parenting, it's poor shepherding. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4 that God gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers, he gave the church these leaders in order to equip the saints of the work of the ministry for building up the body of Christ. It's references like this is where we talk about the church being a body, by the way. So, so we are given, the elders are given, the leaders are given in order to equip you. And when you fail to perform, we just did it ourselves. So we're not truly equipping. We're not truly helping. We're not truly shepherding. And my desire is that I train you to be healthier, that the elders work along with you all in seeking the overall health of the body like never before including the elders here, starting with the elders. And this is my prayer, and this is my goal. So I hope that you see where I'm coming from this morning. I'm, I'm looking at our church, and I see that we are in a, a pivotal place. We're five years in, and over the past five years, I've helped transition a dozen pastors and churches through shutting down. Churches that never saw their fifth birthday. I currently coach about 25 church planners in, in a number of different areas around the world, and a part of doing this is seeing some not succeed, some not make it to their fifth birthday for a, a number of reasons, but I say that to say that we are privileged to be where we are, that it is a grace of God that we are turning five years old. Over the past five years, I've helped even walk pastors through adultery, through divorce, through sexual addictions, and one particular, through being an atheist. Pray for him. For us to be here is a miracle. To God be praised that the Axis Church is alive and thriving. We're here, but we're in a pivotal place. We're, Lord willing, about to buy our permanent home here in the neighborhood. I believe we're going to see this accomplished. I believe that we're going to do this. We're running somewhere around 225 each and every Sunday. We're expecting to continue to grow exponentially each year as we plow forward, but we must stop here along the way in order to take inventory and address some needs and focus on a few fundamentals so that we can reach the potential that we're capable of in the next 55 years. And I want this with all my heart. I want us to be around for decades to come. I want us to be healthy. There's nowhere else I would rather be than right here in Nashville, Tennessee, in the mission called the Axis Church. I want to be here. I want us to be healthy. But we are in a pivotal place. When you look at church history as a whole, you will see that, that people like us typically will not reproduce to the next generation what we have without a concerted effort to do so. You see, at the Axis Church, the gospel and Jesus are huge deals to us. Mega. There is nothing more important than Jesus Christ. There is no detail. There's no heading. You could not bold or italicize or underline or highlight or shadow or anything that is more important that needs to be known by more people than Jesus Christ. It is the central focus that every human heart wants to believe in and, and is looking for, though they find so many other cheap substitutes in other places. It's Jesus that satisfies, and it's Jesus that is the big deal. And by God's grace, though we did not start this way five years ago, Jesus was one of the things that we were about. 
By God's grace, over the last five years, he's shifted the focus and he's ransacked and taken over his church here at the Axis and made it much more about him than I ever thought a church would ever be. And for this, I am honored and privileged to experience. It is beautiful. It is a radical blessing of his grace that we look to Jesus the way that we do. But here's why we're in a pivotal place. We're at risk of assuming the gospel and assuming Jesus. The generation that assumes something will never pass it down to the following generation. As a matter of fact, church history tells us over and over and over again that the generation that assumes the gospel gives way to the following generation denying the gospel entirely. We cannot assume this. God has brought a heightened awareness of the gospel and of Jesus to our generation. It started somewhere around 10 years ago. This is a big deal. This hasn't happened in like 500 years, okay? And we're a part of this rediscovering of the gospel, which is a gift by the moving of the Holy Spirit in our time. This is massive. This is huge. The Axis Church is the result of this rediscovering of the gospel. We must fight hard not to assume it or we will lose it. The best place to hide something is in plain sight. The easiest way for Jesus to be assumed is to talk about Jesus all the time. The easiest way for the gospel to lose its power in our, in our presence is by us talking about the gospel all the time. We have to intentionally focus on the truths, remembering these truths over and over and over so that we will not assume, so that we keep it fresh, morning by morning. We're, at a, we're all at a place where we could either take a deeper gospel root and flourish or we're at a place where we could grow immune to the gospel and begin to dwindle, regardless of what we may do numerically, regardless of what we might do with dollar signs or decimals, we can still dwindle because of the gospel being assumed. So here's where we are. I'm concerned that for people like us, because we're in such a gospel-centered environment, it's in all that we do. And while that is absolutely good, absolutely beautiful, it places us in a pivotal, pivotal spot. This has never been a concern for me before the Axis Church. My pastors that I had growing up and that I served under, this wasn't on their radar over the last 20 years. This hasn't been a, a concern in the church. This is something that's new, and we are radically blessed to be a part of a church and a faith community that we're in, but it's so easy to assume this blessing and where we become entitled and we begin to take his grace for granted. And my concern is that we no longer see his grace as amazing, that we no longer see Jesus as special, as Savior, that, that we no longer see who we are apart from his divine intervention into our hearts and our lives. That we no longer see others as more important than ourselves. My, my fear and my concern is that the gospel is no longer the means to set us free to truly live our lives. That we no longer share Jesus with others and we no longer see it as our job, as our calling, and as our role as Christians, as missionaries for the fame of Jesus. My concern is that we no longer pursue obedience and holiness that is necessary to be carried out faithfully with passion and determination, seeing victory over sin in our lives. I know that we won't ever drift towards remembering the gospel and keeping it central to all areas of our life. And I know that if we keep it central to all of life, that it will only be through an intentional uphill pursuit of the glory of God in all things, in all areas of our lives, in each and every decision of our lives. It will only be if we're intentional. And I believe that living with the gospel as central in our lives is the best life that anyone could live ever. My main concern is that we're assuming the gospel. We hear it, we become numb to it. It's so, easily, it's so easy to drift towards 
forgetting that we're dead and that the Holy Spirit stopped our funeral and that he caused us to live. My fear is that when that doesn't move you, that you've already drifted away from the gospel being central and the gospel being celebrated. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, he's a dead theologian, a precious man of God. He says, the ultimate test of our spirituality is the measure of our amazement at the grace of God. But what happens in the church is it seems like the more you study it, the more you grow immune to it, and less that you're amazed of it. My prayer is that we will become great rememberers of who we are and rememberers of, of who Jesus is and what he's done. The Apostle Paul wrote to young Timothy, who was in a pivotal place, knowing that Timothy was influencing a, a lot of others who were in pivotal places here in the early church. He wanted Timothy to know the importance, the necessity of remembering the gospel. He says this, If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of faith and of good doctrine that you followed. Have nothing to do. Have nothing, don't even entertain, have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. That's speaking of false doctrine, of religious experiences that, that aren't, that cannot gel with Scripture. Be careful here, family. Rather, train yourself for godliness, for while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise to the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end we toil and strive because we have our hope set on the living God who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Now you command and you teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but you set an example you set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Until I come, please devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation and to teaching. Do not neglect the gift that you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Timothy, practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that others may see your progress. Now keep a close watch on yourself. And on the teaching. Persist here, Timothy. Persist in this. For by doing so, you're going to save yourself. And you're going to save others. Being in a pivotal place implies that it can go either way. And I'm here to tell you, just like Paul's addressing Timothy, that you can drift towards gospel amnesia. Where we, where we quickly drift towards not digging to the, to the root of our sins. To the sin beneath the sin. Where we only seek to alter our behavior and try to manage our sin and our disobedience, not being set free by the power of the gospel. We will quickly drift towards not being intentional in our relationships, no longer pursuing Jesus and pushing others towards pursuing Jesus. We'll quickly drift towards being silent and apathetic toward the things that of Jesus. We'll quickly drift towards not believing in the severity of hell or believing that it's even real. We'll quickly drift towards sin being tolerated, to sin being excused, to sin not being confessed and not repented of. We'll even go to the extent of figuring out ways to live with our sin and accommodate our sin as we try to manage it. May God help us. We'll quickly drift towards mission being cool for our parents and for other churches, but not something that you personally value or care too much about or get caught up in. We'll quickly drift towards mission within and through the church being someone else's job, someone who has more time than we do. We'll quickly see obedience to God is no big deal. And it's happened time and time again all throughout church history, and we must realize that we are not exempt here. So how can we ensure that we do not drift I believe we fight hard and intentionally make progress towards Jesus and his mission, the church. And here's how. Just like Paul told Timothy, put these things before the brothers. Constantly keeping these before others here in the church family and our friends. It's being trained in the words of faith and of good doctrine. It's training yourselves in godliness. This is consistent, intentional pursuit, even when you don't feel like it. 
That's what's implied in training yourself. It's, it's not something that's going to naturally arrive here. He compares it with exercising. You don't just become an Olympic weightlifter or bodybuilder by just wanting to and just showing up at a competition. It takes practice. It takes a commitment. It takes eating right, running right, lifting well, consistently, putting in the time, training yourself. For this end, we toil, he says, we strive, knowing that this isn't something that we're going to intentionally just get to. He says, command these things, teach these things, don't move past these things, don't be passive or lackadaisical about Jesus. Devote yourself, be determined, be committed, refuse to assume, refuse to drift. Practice these things, immerse yourself in these things, this determination to not forget or assume. Then he says, keep a close watch on yourself, a close watch Persist here. Why? Because it's how you're going to save yourself and it's how you're going to save others. Don't give up. Don't quit on this. Certainly don't take this for granted. This is how I believe we fight the drift. This is how I believe we climb and claw and we fight for godliness, knowing that we're at a pivotal place. This is how we turn towards Jesus rather than towards our sin, rather than away from Jesus. A college student put this on, uh, Access College student put the following quote on, on, Facebook, on his Facebook wall. I asked him if he could use it, if I could use it, and he said, yeah. I made a really sad realization today. If I was committed to my relationship with God the way I'm committed to skateboarding, my life would be completely different. That's one thing, but I love this question. Why is it so easy to lose sight of what is truly important? We have to help each other here. We drift there, drift to no longer seeing him as important and his mission as being important. So many other things scream at us continually as being important. And to follow Jesus is it's reorganizing and reorienting our life around Jesus. It's this training, it's this fighting. The Christian life is all about following Jesus and spending time with him in a very real relationship, a personal relationship where you're learning more and more and believing more and more about what it's like to live out of the identity that he has granted you through his finished work, through his life and his death and his resurrection, pushing you to be a mirror of God's glory in your time remaining here in your life. It's where you're fighting to not drift. It's where you're training your heart to turn towards Jesus each moment than turning from him and away from him. This following of Jesus is, is more than a one-time event. It must be hundreds of times a day that we intentionally follow him, that we intentionally press into repentance with him. It's not accurate to say that you followed Jesus back in January of 2008. That's not following Jesus. Following Jesus is a day-in, day-out relationship with him. When he says, come and follow me, come be like me, come be my disciple, he's not asking that we merely accept him, but that we follow him and live life through the lens of Jesus. To follow Jesus, there is no, no part of your life that he doesn't want and demand access of. As a Christian, there is no, no trespassing signs that we can place in certain parts of our hearts. There's no, no limit, off-limits signs that we can place in our lives when it comes to Jesus. The Bible teaches over and over and over that He's either Lord of all or He's not Lord at all. And here's where we need repentance. Where we grow in awareness of our sin, where we confess our sin to others and we pray to God, Unpacking the wandering of our heart during that sin and it's returning to Jesus being the great satisfier of our soul. And typically, as Americans, we wake up each day with a particular lens. The particular lens is, how can I be the happiest today? How can I be the most successful today? How can I be the most comfortable today? Not experience inconvenience, have a great sense of accomplishment, get my list completed, and perhaps even grow my social network and become more popular, gaining more friends on social media. 
But there's so much more to life than this. And this, I believe, is what the Holy Spirit wants the Axis Church to hear today, is there's more to life than this. There's more to the Christian life. To follow Jesus is to wake up every single day and remembering all throughout the day this one large overarching idea that I want to live for the glory of God today. Jesus, help me live for you today. Help me. What do you want from me today? Help me spread your fame today. Help me take full advantage of each and every opportunity that you give me today to make you famous, to make you popular. And following Jesus is learning to view all of life, every piece, every detail of our lives through that different lens, through that filter. This is what it means to be Christian. And today I'm, I'm here to call us, myself included, to this very lens, to view life through this filter. I'm here to call us both as individuals as well as a church family to a greater level of obedience. I want to see us become better stewards of our life, of how we spend time, of how we spend money, of how we spend the ways that we're radically gifted in. And I want to focus here on two primary symptoms that I must speak to in order to be a faithful shepherd of the Axis Church. I know that there's a greater issue present, but these are symptoms. The greater issue, I believe, is trusting Jesus with our whole lives and living life through the lens that the Holy Spirit gives to Christians. First is in regards to how we steward our money. And then second, how we spend our time. Jesus says that you can tell where your heart truly is by seeing what you do with your money. In Matthew 6, 21, and also in Luke 12, 34, he says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Ephesians 4 says, when each part of the body is working properly, it makes the body grow. Getting specific here, a number of people give faithfully to the Axis Church, to the general fund through our tithes and offerings collected at our gatherings and through the week online with the, with the city pay option that we have. And people have given sacrificially, generously to AWAP, our building fund as we're trying to buy the space that we're in. But this is the exception. Not nearly all of us give faithfully to either. Thank you to those who give regularly, who give faithfully and sacrificially. Please continue to lead by example in this. Thank you. While our building project, AWAP, has been given to radically, our general offering has suffered. When we, when we fail to give faithfully and sacrificially, it causes us to not be able to do what we could be able to do along with your generosity. Now, those who consider this church their home church, today I'm calling us as a family to give more faithfully and generously and consistently. I don't know who gives what, but I've been told that there are many who give nothing or very little. My prayer is that you would begin giving generously and consistently today. That you would just decide today that I'm going to make giving to the church, which is commanded all throughout Scripture. I'm going to start doing this today for the sake of the mission that's before us as the axis. And if you're waiting to have extra money in order to give consistently, you're missing the point of trusting Jesus with your whole life. And it's perhaps the reason why you don't have the extra money laying around. You're just simply not living life through the lens of faith in Jesus Christ. Rather, you're looking and living life through the lens of personal comfort and convenience. There's been men and women and churches outside of the Axis that have given nearly a half a million dollars to help us along the way over these past five years. That's not counting our AWEP 
project. I want to see us pull together so that these precious donors can begin investing in other ministries and church plants. And along the way, many have had to stop giving because things have been so tight on their church's ends as well. And now at five years in, we're, we're barely making payroll because of, and this is the term that our stewardship team gave me, because of weak giving overall. There's been months that we were barely able to cover the bills. Giving's down, even though we have grown significantly over the last 12 months, our giving is down drastically compared to where it was this time last year. As the leaders of the church, we're all taking this call to be better stewards of money seriously. Access elders and staff were on a spending freeze for nearly everything. And I'll be honest, I was surprised to see that we even had bulletins today. We might not have bulletins next week as we try to be so careful with how we spend every penny. A lot of you had, have had coffee or a meal with an access leader that the church has perhaps paid for. We've been trying to be hospitable and generous in this way, but the budget's so tight now that the spending freeze has, has been declared and, and all this discretionary expense and these expenses have been eliminated. And so you'll begin to notice these things as we cut back, like coffee and printed bulletins, the thermostat, I'll sweat a lot more, thank God it's fall and becoming winter. Um, but our elders and our stewardship team have cut expenses, but this alone, I've been told by our stewardship team who looks at all the numbers, this alone will not bridge the monthly gap that's there. We all must step up our faithfulness and obedience in giving towards the mission of the Axis Church. Now here's some goals that we've laid out as I get specific here. Our goal is to close the monthly budget gap with increased giving from within by the end of this year. We're in the process of implementing some solid business principles into our leadership structure through leadership coaching. A more robust, less fragmented expense report system is in the process of being put in place and the result will be that we will be able to have increased transparency and reporting with the church family. The goal of the Axis Stewardship Team is to have you monthly reports and statements of the church's generosity, income, and the way they spend uh, by the end of October of this year and then rolling monthly from that point on. Of course, a goal of ours is to buy the building by the end of this year as well. To give you specifics here, $2,800 a month of the building rent that we're paying now will go away at the purchase of the building. And then we will receive $1,800 a month from our neighbor who will be renting from us instead of our landlord because we will have the building. The same goes for the parking lot that's rented during the week from Godwin Brothers. That's $250 a month that we will have. That's a net swing of $4,850 that will be able to get us on our feet and, and, and help us stabilize our monthly budget as well as be the money that we draw from for flipping our space and adding more room. We're taking a very hard look at staff and volunteer roles and making the necessary adjustments in order to make the church healthy and sustainable. Over the past five years, God has provided for my family and I, and he has built our faith in him that he is alive and he is present and he is aware of the Axis Church and I believe wholeheartedly that he is with us and that he wants the Axis Church to thrive. Over five years ago, when I resigned my pastoring role in Charlotte, North Carolina, I remember telling Jill, I said, Jill, as we plant this church, if God has to like rain food down from heaven, he can do it. I read about it. It's happened before. And then so help me, if not even within a week, we didn't know where our meals were going to come from. And there was food being delivered to our front doorstep every Saturday morning. And we didn't know who was doing it. Probably $70, $80 worth of food that our family lived on. I mean, that's, 
It's not manna as in the particular food, but the principle is there that God provided for us early on and he's provided for us throughout our story and he's going to provide through us and for us even today. I've seen him move miraculously time and time again and I believe with all my heart that God is present among us and that he will help lead us to greater health as a church family. I am radically excited about this. The second symptom is in regards to how we spend our time. Here at the Axis Church, we, we ask that as many as possible, especially those who are partners, that they serve faithfully and get involved in community, in our Axis communities. We believe that being known is a big deal. We value being known. We don't want you just to come in and leave. We want to get to know you because we believe that being in community is a big deal as it helps us drift, as it, as it helps us not drift towards isolation, but rather it fights to keep us known in community. And there's been, honestly, there's been a lack of integrity in following through with commitments as far as what is to be expected. This isn't always, but it has become the norm. And I know those, men. there's people who, who serve endlessly. And I thank you. I'm trying to get you some help. Those who consider this church their home church today, I call us to give our time faithfully and generously and consistently. And I do believe that our generation's culture, our city's culture even, has seeped into our church to the point of us committing to things so long as there's nothing better that comes along. And that we really lose the idea of what commitment means. It's been redefined in the postmodern era that we live in. It's been said that, that within the churches that 80% of the work is done by 20% of the people. And at best, I would say that's accurate for us. But this isn't sustainable. And I believe this is our greatest growth barrier. Even in my enthusiasm, I have announced things from the stage that we were not prepared to execute on and deliver on consistently. We haven't been faithful to let our yes be yes and our no be no. And I confess, and I'm speaking for the elders, and I believe that they will speak with me here. We have participated in the culture of slow communication and we've allowed things to stay in limbo for longer periods of time than should be. We have been following up faithfully. And I acknowledge this. And again, I confess this. And I ask that you forgive me, that you forgive us as an elder team as we seek to be better in these areas and more faithful in these ways. Now, family, when we mention that there are needs within the body to help serve, know that when we ask for help like this, it is a desperate plea. You are our only option. It's a desperate plea for you to get involved and faithfully execute on what it is that you said you would do. When we ask you to be somewhere, please be all you, please do all you can do to be there. Please value our words when we ask you for help and see that it is a sincere plea for help. When we mention that there's a need for Access Kids workers, it's because we value teaching the children of our church the gospel. Jesus says that if you hinder a young one from coming to me, you'd be better off throwing a millstone around your neck and jumping in the ocean. Yet, at the same time, we have people canceling on their commitments to serve and preach Jesus to these kids, and we have to cancel our kids because there's no teachers. When we mention that there is a need even for building help and cleaning and creating, it's because we value having a clean space to gather in. When we mention that we need help in AV, it's because we value having lyrics on the screen and references on the screen so that it helps our worship experience together. Again, when we mention that we need your help, it is our final desperate plea to get you involved, to faithfully execute on what it is that you said you would do. And I don't like burning people out. I don't like pushing people to ministry fatigue. 
A need for us all to get under these tasks and work together. The load is so much more sustainable and so much lighter when you get more people under it, lifting it together. And I want to help us here. I want to run stride for stride in this race with you. I want us to share the weight and the burden of, of pressing our church towards health and to sustainability. And I know we can do this. You guys are the brightest, sharpest, most capable people that God has sent the Axis Church in five years. The potential that we have here as a church family, I, I've, I've, ne I've never seen it at this point before. It's radical. But we have to work together, building the body up together. By the way, the very first game that I coached, that ragtag bunch of boys, it was terrible, y'all. I can't really. It was awful. But the very first game, they won 101 to 43. We full court pressed the entire game. I was so scared of losing with two minutes left, and we're up by 50. I was so, because I knew they were terrible. I knew that if given the opportunity, they, they would not finish well. <laughs> we ended up losing only two games that season. One we lost in the district playoffs. The others we lost to a group of eight seniors. But man, we had an experience. We, we had a run, and we were able to experience a, a run in sports that honestly I have never been personally made aware of. Those boys are still so dear to me. And I love them. We keep up together. Most of them are serving in the military. I don't know what that means for, for me as a leader and, and what I did to those guys. <laughs> but uh, they, I, apparently they like strong leadership telling them that they're terrible. Um, <laughs> I guess it fits. I've never been in the Marines. I don't know. You know, we knew that what happened back then was special. And when we talk... I get emotional because I, I can see these boys' pictures. Um, when we talk, we always talk about that run that we had. We were so united. We were so humble. We sacrificed so much. Yeah, it was just a, a varsity team of basketball in the hills of Virginia. But man, we laid it all on the line. There was nothing else in the world than us and basketball. Our concern for each other was so much greater than the concern for ourselves individually. Access Church, in 55 years, I want us to look back at these early pivotal days that we're walking through together right now, and I want us to know that those were special days. We're so much better together, working together, sacrificing together. And I know with all my heart that our faithfulness and our sacrifice today will bring a great harvest of souls as we press more and more into what it looks like to truly believe Jesus and give our lives to carrying out his mission for his church without holding anything back, leaving it all out there. And the reason why I spent so much time on our need for us to remember the gospel and fight to keep Jesus central is that because without that, there can be no real lasting change in our lives and our hearts. Without that, we'll just become excellent in executive things and lose our heart. You can read about a church like that in Revelation, the church that Jesus wrote to in Ephesus. They had all these things that were they're so excellent in, but their heart, their motive, their reason for being obedient to what it was that he called them to was off. May we press on together, seeking to keep the gospel central, keeping to fight to keep Jesus central, and then we'll be able to see God do so many magnificent things among us. But my prayer is that we'll seek first his kingdom and then see him provide all that we need. And we trust him for it individually and collectively as a church family. And I want to close with Acts chapter 2. This is my hope for us. 
And they devoted themselves. This is the early church. These are like our, like our grandfathers in the faith here. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, and to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together. And they had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with, with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And here's what's beautiful. God moved among them in magnificent ways. Do you see that? And the Lord added to their number Day by day, those who were being saved, radically changed by Jesus Christ. May we pray for this. May we pray for this often. We must work towards this. And this is going to take teamwork. It's going to take sacrifice. And it's going to demand our faithfulness. Essentially, it's going to take commitment as defined in dictionaries, not defined in our culture. It's committing to Jesus and his mission here at the Axis Church. And I want you to know that I've received this charge today personally as a call to greater obedience and taking strides towards health. And I pray that you take these to heart and press on as a family to magnificent things that God has for us here in Nashville, Tennessee. I deeply love you. Thank you so much for letting me share from my heart today. I pray that we press into Jesus more and to one another. Let me pray for us. Jesus, Lord, thank you for being with me. Lord, I pray that, that what I said is, is exactly what you wanted to be said. I pray that what was heard is exactly what you wanted to have heard. Lord, I pray against the enemy's attempt to confuse or, or to manipulate the things that were spoken. Lord, that you would truly give us unity and that you would draw us together as a family like never before and that we would see you move magnificently in our culture, in our city here, saving thousands and thousands of people. Lord, produce in us such a concern for each other and a concern for your gospel and a concern for, for how we invest into the kingdom and through the kingdom's work here at this church. Lord, would, would we have this like never before? Lord, let us be a part of something special. Lord, let us be a part of something that's historic. We really want a front row seat watching you flex in this generation that hasn't been experienced or seen ever. God, we want to see you do this. God, produce in us what's needed in order for you to move most freely. I pray this in your name and for your name's sake and for your fame and for your majesty and for your dominion to be recognized here in this city as it is in heaven. In Christ's name, amen.